According to geoengineering researcher and solar energy expert Dean Wigington, there is no natural weather anymore. So what's going on? By best estimates, geoengineering, the artificial manipulation of our global climate, has been happening for 60 plus years and has created a total disruption of our weather system. In this candid and sobering roundtable discussion with Dane Wigington, commercial photographer and creator of the documentary film Look Up George Barnes, and Dr. Doug Levine, executive director of Life After Cancer, we spoke about the global distraction that keep the masses in survival mode, which has greatly reduced our ability to be aware of our surroundings, including and especially what is going on in our skies. The implications of a sustained weather modification program are huge, and they affect each and every one of us. But what can we do? Answer, a lot. Have a listen. Jane, you have, I've heard you say so many times that um, you're not happy about why you're, you're doing what you're doing. It's, it's not a happy issue at all. Um, but I have to say, uh, and same for me, this is probably the first time I've done an interview where um, it hasn't been a pleasure, it, although I'm happy to have you here. So thanks, uh, the three of you, for being here. I want to talk about, um, sort of elaborate on some of the themes that you uh, talked about relative to geoengineering yesterday in your uh, wonderful panel discussion. And I want to talk about your wonderful movie, Look Up, George. Um, in the opening of your movie, you say, what if we told you the clouds were fake? Yes. That's a loaded question and a loaded implication. How much of our atmosphere, our weather conditions, are fake? Anyone who wants to? I think it's all fake at this point. At this point, it is not an exaggeration to say that there is no natural weather. Mm -hmm. Once you affect any part of the system, you affect the whole system, and the degree to which they're derailing the system is total. When you, when you have a, a global spraying that is literally encasing the planet in a cocoon of toxic metal particulates, disrupts convection, hydrological cycle, it affects virtually every aspect of the system. There is no I, natural weather. I see, Dane, uh, the metaphor for me is taking a pebble and dropping it in a still small lake, mm -hmm. and then you have that ripple effect. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel Dane is saying, is that you know one thing is just going to affect everything. But now we're dropping in a boulder, not a pebble. So, I mean, the degree to which the system has been disrupted, I mean, few of us know truly natural weather because we know these programs have been going on for 60-plus years. Mm. And you can see it just if you look at the horizon and you look at advertising, you know, you ask how much of the weather, weather is um, artificial. Whenever you look at that horizon and it's just smoky, milky white or silver white, it's artificial, mm -hmm. period. Yeah. And that's nearly all the time. That's all, all the time. It's all the time. And what all people time. don't understand is the system is very malleable. It is, it is not a, uh, a fixed and, and uh, unsteerable mechanism. When you have events like Pinatubo in 1992, one not-so-significant volcano, mm -hmm. the particulates are put in the air disrupted global rainfall patterns so much it made 92 by 50% the lowest rainfall year ever recorded in up to that point. And now we're talking about an, a constant dispersion of particulates that's even a greater overall mathematical equation than that. So we're, we're talking about a total disruption of the system. There's a lot going on here, and I, I have to ask you, I want to get into sort of the general consensus about what's going on. It, it seems so obvious to some, and yet 
some are oblivious to what's happening. Um, is it any accident these days that with all the devices that we have, and I think Georgia and I talked about this yesterday, that we're being encouraged to do anything but look up, look at our iPads, our, our iPhones, and people on the street, almost willing to be hit by a car, some of them, because they're so, you know, uh, hell-bent on looking down. You're correct. Do you think that's any accident? Do you think there's some... I think it's partially human nature, people just trying to struggle through to make it through to Friday. Absolutely. And people just are yeah. not looking up. In, in their own world yeah. and involved in their own thing. And with electronics now, it just creates a smaller world instead of looking up and looking at the bigger... And looking around even. Never That's mind correct. looking up. They're, yeah. just, they're not cognizant of exactly. their surroundings. Right. But even that right. struggle, though, that, that, and I agree with you, that you know, many people are struggling just to make it from uh, one week to the next, yeah. but but even in that, we see a lot of programs globally now that are, it appears by design, increasing that struggle, increasing the, the magnitude of that struggle so that people can't think of anything else. That's right. Yeah. From austerity in other countries to, you know, we know that the elite print as much money as they need for what they need it for, but yet they they pull the noose ever tighter around the population so That's that right. they literally can't focus on anything but the next bite of food. Yeah. So, I mean, all, all the and I'll admit I was one of those people, uh, before I met George, I mean, I was like everybody else, that hamster in a wheel. I wake up at the same time, go sure. through the same routine every day, I drive the same way to work, I park in the same place, and I have the same routine. And George said to me one time, he goes, did you ever, like, did you, did you see those clouds? I'm like, yeah. what? What <laughs> clouds? And it didn't register, and it took, took me weeks before it finally made sense to me and I went from looking down now to yeah. looking up every day. So, right. And part of the, the thing that was so interesting to me is even being a professional photographer, I'd been noticing for the past couple of years, I'm like, God, we can never get a blue sky in our shots. Mm. We're spending so much time in color correction and sky replacement, which is a term for replacing the sky with a, a fake image. It was the time lapse that just smashed me in the face. That's that's an interesting perspective. I would love for you to elaborate on that. I have never heard that as an entry point to this epiphany yeah. that something was going on. Talk about that a little bit. You, your background as a professional photographer and the camera, as we know, the old adage, does not lie. The camera so does not lie. <laughs> that was your sort of uh, the impetus for your discovering this. Talk about that a little bit. Okay. Um, Basically, the way I made, made the discovery was testing a time-lapse rig. Mm -hmm. And a time-lapse rig, the process is it takes a series of still images, and then you, you put it in a computer, and it creates a video out of it. Mm -hmm. um, not knowing the program or the rig, we actually processed the footage in reverse. So what we saw was the time-lapse footage played backwards at high speed. Mm -hmm. And the observation was, you know, I set the camera out, and it was sunny. I collected the camera in the evening, and it was cloudy. Whatever, that's a normal process. But when I saw it play backwards and saw that the cloudiness was created by these planes flying in the grid pattern over my house, and it was, it was really, I just had that sinking feeling that, wow, something's really not right with this. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've got an editor and a news producer, and actually the news producer said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to do some research. And it took her a couple days, and bang, geoengineering, four-inch binder, and she said, here it is. Yeah. 
So even as a even as a professional photographer, that it, my job is to take pictures outside of the clouds, of the sky, of a of a person. The trick really was to see it evolve, because if you just look up and there's a stripe in the sky or a weird looking cloud, whatever, mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't have that much of an impact. But when you see that the what the cause of that is, that's what was life changing. Right. Yeah. There's no way you can look up in the sky today. Uh, on any given day, and uh, we're both on the East Coast, you're on the East Coast, right. you're here, mm-hmm. and see this anomaly, these these just these lines. And speaking of anomaly, there's something that you uh, showed in your movie that I found quite interesting. I've never seen before. I believe the footage was taken in Palm Beach, Florida, in which you show a cloud and a plane intersecting that cloud, and it created a void, almost like a reverse... Chemtrail. And what was that all about? I have no idea what that was about, but uh, you know, it's it, connected. I know it, was, it, it has to be connected because you know, I you see planes. I fly in planes. I see other planes fly through clouds. Right. Planes don't leave holes in clouds. So, they just don't. So what would that intimate, Dane? The particles are desiccants, which means they absorb and create all available moisture. So depending on what material they're spraying and what the cloud humidity is, it, it absorbs a path right through that cloud. Does that make sense? Those particles mm-hmm. form a condensation nuclei and it, and it can actually absorb the moisture in a particular layer as opposed to creating a cloud. It can, it can slice a hole through it as well. So we, we see, in, uh, they were so aggressive with thwarting rain in California that we saw them spraying individual thunderheads very consistently so that no rain would fall. As, as a thunderhead convex, and, and starts to rise, mm-hmm. and that's what allows precipitation to occur. We, we, we could spot aircraft over the tops of those individual cells, aerosolizing them, which disperses that convection, and that prohibits any precipitation from falling. So, I mean, they were that aggressive with stopping the rain in California. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different effects depending on the materials dispersed. It's, right. like, it's like they flattened it. They do. Yeah. They do. They keep it from coming up. It, it just blows it out into a huge, hazy aerosol cloud instead of those nice... Uh, cauliflower-shaped no clouds. No yeah, Very no more. rarely. Yeah. Dr. Doug, I'd like you to talk about the implications of aluminum on cognitive abilities. These aluminum particulates that are in the air that are invariably getting into our system. They're affecting cognitive behavior. I find that very interesting because we see, now more than ever, people are... I don't want to use the word zombified, but okay. I'm tempted. Okay. And I think you all know what, we're, what <clears throat> yes. I'm talking about here. Okay. Do you believe there's any connection between what we're absorbing each and every day and this sort of anomalous behavior on the part of people that I would loosely call zombified? Zombified. Hmm? Um, as uh, Dean and I talked about, uh, aluminum is not um, free. It's not a free-forming element. It's usually bound to something, oh, correct? Sure. Always, and we were talking about that. So now we have this free aluminum that's in the air, um, and we breathe it in. And the most common place that we can breathe it in is through olfaction, Uh right, through our nose. And that has a direct line right to our central nervous system. And it has an affinity to the central nervous system, specifically the brain. And aluminum is a known neurotoxin. Um, It's not good for the body. Um, and it can affect motor changes and sensory changes and cognitive behavior. And what they found in a huge study that was done at MIT uh, that I made George aware of is the relationship between 
autism and these autistic kids having very, very high aluminum in their yeah. tissue. Yeah, that study is on the Skyder site. It's a, it's a, it's a huge study. It's, it's well-researched. And what I like about organizations like Harvard, MIT, they're not government-regulated. Uh-huh. They just do their, they have enough money, so they were able to do their own research and, uh-huh. and come up with their own uh, understanding of things. And, um, and again, uh, you know, Dan and I were talking about the whole nanoparticle issue where they're creating these particles that are really super small and going to a cellular level. So what happens is that when it's at a cellular level, it will affect the permeability of a cell membrane, which has a certain type of, would you say, like a, a voltage or an electrical current. And what will happen is that it just halts it, it stops it, and it affects the, uh, the functionality of the cell. So you start to affect the functionality of a lot of cells. Yeah. You know, here you need to connect the dots, and it will affect uh, synaptic connections in the brain, and it can ultimately affect cognitive behavior. I think we're seeing that play out. That's very interesting correlation. Dr. Uh, uh, Russell Blaylock, internationally mm-hmm. recognized neuroscientist, would confirm everything that Doug just said. I mean, and he has on the record. So it's, you know, uh, this is, the data's there for those that choose to look. And also at uh, Stanford, a nanoparticulate specialist there, she's a a tenured professor, and she, with a meeting I had with her at Stanford, confirmed that Stanford studies now show that aluminum exposure is directly connected to obesity and type 2 diabetes as well. So Virtually everything right. that we're because seeing right. spike right now right. has a real affinity to, to adipose, has a real affinity to fat, and it gets stored in bone, gets stored in teeth. But Doug's analogy is, is it's, it's a perfect analogy in that you know the, uh, the, the chain of communication starts to break down, so That's everything it. breaks down in order uh, from there. And in the case of autism, we have since 1975, a ten, excuse me, it's a 10,000% increase. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 10,000 from 1 in 5,000 to 1 in 50. So, I mean, that's an actual hard stat today as of April of last year, a 10,000% increase. I mean, why aren't the red flags going up everywhere? Why aren't they? Environmental, environmental, environmental. Yeah. Why aren't they? Because the system now is bought and sold and paid for. And even, even some of the institutions that were more free reign, as you, as you mentioned, sure. now are becoming... Uh, muzzled because there is there is government money behind the institutions. I, I know a scientist at Duke that's trying that has tried to speak out against this, and she's told me she's been pulled into a room twice and told, "quote if, if she continues to talk about geoengineering, there'll be consequences." That's a that's a direct quote from her, and she's afraid to say anything now. And, and the same with uh, one at Stanford, that or excuse me, one at Harvard. I've talked to, and also University of Florida. So there's a lot of I think after all the protests that happened in the 60s with the universities, and uh, you see now a lot of corporate money that, that has been infiltrated in these sources, government money in the end, and yeah. it's the same with the state of California. Why does the state of California not speak out? I spoke to the California Energy Commission in 2010. They recognized they were losing 20 to 40 percent of their rainfall from particulates of unknown origin. Uh, ser- served up their top scientists, a mountain of data. Mm-hmm. Not a word ever happened because it appears the state of California is being kept afloat with about 30 to 50 billion dollars a year, literally every year, and no one questions where did last year's deficit go, and the year before, and the year before. So literally, it appears that uh, the, the again those that print the money are literally now controlling the levers that controls universities, states, environmental protection agencies, bottom to top. 
and yet we can't keep the lid on this. There's just way too much empirical evidence, and they know that. So how long is this charade going to be kept up? I mean, you know, I don't want to spend too much it's time. It's up to your listeners. Yeah. That's right. Don't put it all on me now. But I'm, this is why I wanted to do this in all seriousness, because I'm just another thread in the tapestry. And if we get a lot of threads together, that's before right. you know, we create a clock. That's exactly right. So yep. that's that is exactly, exactly right. I, I don't typically cover these right. issues, but it's it struck me very personally the urgently. I, the I becomes a we. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty urgent. It's very urgent. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the, the best, best expression of that urgency would be the fact that Homeland Security has ordered 2.2 billion rounds of 40 caliber hollow point. You know that, right? So, at, at what point, when if you have a true awakening in this issue, you truly critical mass of awareness that would change the complexion of everything we face. And I think those in power realize that when that moment comes, they'll have to lower the next shoe. And and I think that uh, that's a variable that we we can't know what it is, but. Uh, I think it's likely coming. And that's why I, I don't know that I brought it up in this conversation, maybe offline. To me, it's so ironic that we talk about the cognitive dissonance that may be accelerating due to what we're being bombarded by. And that is invariably affecting people's reaction, I think, to this issue. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. I thought about that. Very, very interesting. It's a brilliant program. It's it's malevolent. It's uh, what's the word I want to use? It's dastardly, mm -hmm. but it's brilliant right. because the, it's the all contained. The reflex is diminished. I, I think they know that they're going to get complacency at best because the very assault that they're putting on us is making us complacent. I think this goes back even to to. Fluoridation. Right. If you look yeah. at the cognitive effect, and then how long has that been really right, a part of the right. equation? That's a whole other topic. It is, but it, but it, but, it, but it certainly applies in this case, and that Absolutely. you know how much of the population has already been rendered really less able to right. to think objectively. That's right. Right. Yeah. There's more than one. It's, there's more than one uh, spoke in the wheel here, and, but this is a major one. You know, George, you and I both come from mainstream media, and uh, that gives me. Uh, makes me want to talk a little bit about our, our colleagues in the weather business and who knows what. We have a, a brave man by the name of Scott Stevens who I believe was a weatherman for Network News for uh, 20 plus years, <laughs> excuse me, and had the courage of his convictions and, and uh, researched this and invariably got fired, but um, he's doing his thing. How, how many of his colleagues and former colleagues know what's going on? As I watch the news and the Daily Weather Report, I look at each weather person and say, what do you know that you're not telling? I would think that everybody would know about it, I would think. But, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe some of these new guys, they're seeing these patterns and they've been going on long enough that they can, that, that they're normal in their mind. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It doesn't, it seems like everyone should know. Do you believe they're being threatened by their... I have no idea. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know that answer. I think George's assessment is correct that they likely... Uh, most, if not all, do know. And we were told by one Fox affiliate weatherman who's, who's a friend that they, that he and other meteorologists were taken into meetings and told you don't touch this issue, period. Mm -hmm. So we were told that. Okay. So I think it's safe to say that most know and have been either lightly or... Not so lightly. Maybe not so lightly threatened. Yeah. They can't not know. Any meteorologist that can that's worth their salt. That has higher right. than a, a, a double-digit IQ 
has to know this is going on because the, you can't explain the anomalies. We see 100-degree swings in temperature. In play, uh, we, we saw uh, Amarillo, Texas in 2013. I wanted you to mention that. Talk about that for a minute. 2013 <coughs> was May 1st was 100 degrees, all-time record on the ground for the day, and it snowed the next day. So how, you, can't, you cannot have swings like yeah. that yeah, without massive engineering. And now it's right. common, 50 right. degrees. And if you watch the Weather Channel meteorologist, which is really worth watching, just you, you, the theater is so transparent that clearly they have certain marching orders, and they're trying to follow those orders and trying to explain away how it can snow at 45 degrees, why there's now a warm side and a cold side to every, quote, winter storm. One side has thunderstorms and tornadoes. The other side has snow, and there's always an ice storm in the middle as the nucleated material is setting up on the ground before uh, you know, it can actually nucleate in the air and become snow. So you have th this conveyor belt of completely engineered storms they can't not know. Yeah. We've got a picture on, on the Skyder site, 56 degrees in snow. There you go. Yeah. Um, there you go. 56 in snow? How? You know, that's just, that doesn't but it just doesn't sense. work. What right. kind of snow? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dean, you that's had something on your web website, geoengineeringwatch.org. Yes. Is that correct? Okay, I got it right. Um, I believe that uh, a little, not sniff test, but a, a test of testing snow, how things that we can do ourselves to test for uh, you know, um, fake snow, for lack of a better word. I, I, you know, talk about that. I think it was a test where you could take either a little a kitchen torch or a lighter. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Doug, you can talk about that as well. And kind of determine whether we're looking at a normal pattern for how snow behaves. Again, in that case, you have mainstream meteorologists right now telling us it's normal for snow to sublimate, which means to turn from a solid to a gas mm -hmm. when exposed to flame. It's clearly not normal. Snow can sublimate under right. certain conditions of very low humidities, very low temperatures. Over long periods of time, snow can sublimate, which again is what dry ice does. It turns from a solid to a gas, correct? But under conditions of being exposed to flame or intense heat, snow should melt and it's not melting properly, and we would expect that with artificially chemically nucleated snow. So like dry ice, it's a, it's a chemical mixture of uh, frozen moisture, and it, it turns directly to a gas, and that's what we're seeing. But people also need to know it's obviously not going to be the same in all places. There's right. Certainly these are conditions are right. dictated only by whatever program was done in that place at that time. So uh, on... Again, people should watch more the, the temperatures at which snow begins to fall. The chemical nucleation process does lower temperatures as it progresses. It's a chemical cool down, mm -hmm. but it's a very shallow layer. As I think George is, I asked George to check temperatures as he as he takes off and lands on the plane, and he noted what 20 degree temperature rise right off the deck. Yep. And this is this is shows the unnatural nature of these cool downs. It's a very shallow layer of cold at the surface because the cold air sinks. So as they nucleate the clouds, you get this blast of cold air that sits on the ground, lowers the temperatures, allows them to make a lot of headlines, but it's a very shallow, unnatural yeah, Go up 2,000 yeah. feet when you watch a temperature yeah. thing on the airplane. Right. The temperature can't go up right. when you're taking yeah. off. You're right, right. absolutely. <laughs> but it is. Now, Look at those screens. You're from, now, you're from the east, right? I am. You're right from the east, right? So yeah. you're used to snowfall, and snow has a certain protocol. Snow comes down, and then what happens is the sun hits it, and it starts to melt, and you get the runoff, and the cars are driving, and there's slush. That did not happen with the last snowfall. Mm -hmm. The snow fell, and it evaporated. There's no slush. There's no slush. You there know, was no, you're right. There was no runoff. There was no anything. And I'm saying to myself, okay, this is really different you're right about that. than any other snow mm -hmm. you've ever had. 
And that's when it, this whole thing just... I even noticed when I was landing on the airplane two days ago, I looked down and I said, wow, the roads are really clear. Yeah. Because usually the day after snow, you'll have like that brown slushy Correct. stuff all over the place. Minimal and it was, like the, it was like the roads were painted with a black... Right. Black yeah. marker. I yeah. noticed that as well. Yeah. And I think, I guess my first thought was, well, I guess they've really come a long way. Yeah. And those chemicals are putting yeah. a, very on the road, water. but it's the yeah. chemicals in the sky. That's exactly actually. right. Yeah. There's very little water in it. And there was just no runoff. There was no slush. There was no... People are Snow. noticing. People, I oh, mean, yeah. Just like you guys notice, you see on the internet, it's viral. People are noticing okay. this. But there appears to be certainly different potential mixtures in this nucleated snow. We've typically had, quote, heavy wet snow, a new term invented by Weather Channel three years ago. As this concrete snow comes down, it's, it's, it's typically been very moisture-laden because the warmer the atmosphere, the more moisture it contains. Uh -huh. Snow shouldn't naturally fall at 45 degrees, so these flakes are heavily moisture-laden. They stick like concrete to trees and, or like glue. And, and so we've seen trees toppling all over the forest, three, 400-year-old trees with 15 inches of snow on their backs everywhere yeah. uh, because the snow doesn't come off. But the last snow we got was very powdery. Very, it was a very different mixture, and the Weather Channel made it a point to bring up this snow is light and fluffy. And they, they made it a point to say the snow we're going to have, this is the 5th of February, is this is going to be very different snow than we saw last month. Now, do Never we, heard of that do before. We have a snow, <laughs> do we have a snow for the month now? So, I mean, I, I, the experiment is ongoing, and from one, one uh, different event to the next, uh, the conditions can change. So, so what we saw with this, this, this nucleated snow that wasn't melting, uh, certainly conditions can change because it appears the experiment is, is in a state of flux. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. We don't have too long for this interview, and of course we could talk about this for hours, but I want to um, have you, George, go into your wonderful film, Look Up. Talk a little bit about um, how that project came into being, where you are right now, and, and how it's really an initiative. I want you to talk about Spider Alert, but how Look Up folds into that initiative. Okay. Pretty simple story. Uh, after, after I made that initial discovery of the, of the cause of the, the time lapse resulting in the geoengineering, uh, just it was a life-changing moment, and I said, "Okay, what what can I do as an individual? What can I do about this issue?" Well, the one thing I can do is I can make movies. Mm -hmm. I can make movies. I can communicate to the general population. Um, so, we just, as a company, decided we're going to make this film. But beyond just the actual film, look up as a documentary. There's a lot of great documentaries out there, but none, none of them have a, th a tool, a device, right. a thing to do. Once you're educated on a subject, great, you know about the subject, now what do you do about it? Mm -hmm. So that's where I came up with the idea to create this app that actually gives the viewer something to do. When you see it taking place in the sky, you take a picture of it, it petitions the legislators in that area, and it also populates on the Skyder Alert homepage. Mm -hmm. on the map page so you can see what other people are seeing. So you're so you cataloging don't... these images as well as them going to the appropriate legislator. Yeah, yeah, and they, they populate on the, uh, on the it's, it's the map link or the home page, depending how you set mm -hmm. your, your, uh, your page up. But it also makes people not feel like they're alone in the issue because they take a picture of it, great. They can also go on the, on the Skyder Alert page and see that, wow, you know, 300 other people in the same area are seeing the same thing. Sure. 4,000 so people. you're making a case. Well, you're making a case, but you're also giving some comfort that, you know, you're not alone in being right. concerned about the issue. Right. So 
we've made the film, which is uh, one. Uh, eight or nine awards now in six months. Kudos, that's great. Thank you. And the app that gives people something to do and the social media site that allows people concerned about the issue to not feel like they're alone or just like on the website getting information without uh, a tool to do something about it to be proactive in. Mm -hmm. How are the legislators getting, uh, how is it getting, how is the information getting to them or how would they receive these images? Initially it was uh, via fax. No, initially it was via email. Mm -hmm. But what was happening is as they, as they would build in spam filters or different, uh, I'd actually get calls from different representatives, aides. Legislators basically don't get their email now. They just don't. However, they do all look at their Twitter feeds. Mm. So mm. now the, the functionality is uh, the primary functionality is it's submitted via a Twitter petition. There's a uh, Interesting. yeah, there's an option that you can like buy a fax or buy a, a mail. We will physically print it out, put a stamp on the envelope, and stick it in the mail. But that's not really an effective method because the individual reps are watching their Twitter feeds. So in this sense, it directly to their Twitter feed. And are they responding? Are, are we getting any kind of... We are getting some responses. I think okay. it's, it's softening the armor. And certainly, in, it's not just the app with George's film. It's, it's just the, the manner in which he's put his film together and, and, and sharing how he got onto this issue. I think it's been very effective at, Absolutely. at, at helping people to relate to the waking up on this issue. You know, just the time-lapse photography that you showed and... And uh, yeah, just it's been the most effective tool we've had is, is George's film. That's really great. Today, we'll so. keep up the good work. What's next Thank you. for you? Well, what's next is, I guess, will be the release of this new version, mm -hmm. which will be probably available in two weeks great. on the website. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a great interview with the Gambles that have the Thrive yes. movement. Um, so they're incorporated into it. They've got a huge following, so we'll probably put some stuff on, on their site as well. It's available on Dane's site, Geoengineering Watch. Mm -hmm. um, so that's it. Just what's next? It's up to everybody else what's next. It's up to everybody else, yeah. sure. What can everybody else do? That's it. What else? Any other ideas of what people can do? or, or Get involved. Each one reach one. Uh, that's right. And as uh, Dane, you and I were talking offline, and I was saying that... Uh, I uh, have been somewhat vocal about, uh, although I try to be, you know, calm as I'm talking to people, but I do want to share. And um, you can't force people to look at the issue, but I think if you just direct them, to, it, it's not hard to see there's something anomalous going on in our skies, and ultimately it will be up to them to uh, decide where they want to go from there. Yeah, people can't be forced to look at it, but they also, they are forced to breathe. They're forced right. to breathe. There is not one individual on this planet, not one organism that's not affected by this. It's a that's huge correct. issue. Tell us websites. We talked about geoengineeringwatch.org. <clears throat> it's a long one. We'll have it linked up on uh, the Conscious Inquiry site. You are? Skyderalert.com. Skyderalert.com. S-K-Y-D-E-R, alert.com. And updated often? Well... Ours updates with every single app user submission. So ours is updated every three and a half seconds, approximately. Oh, wow. So reason to go mm -hmm. daily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A few times a day. Yeah. And, Jane, you have your own show, right? Radio show, yeah. Once a week we do, but I do a, a weekly GeoWatch weather update to try to give people an idea of what we see in the patterns 
like like the train of nucleated snow we see and uh, or these these nucleated snowstorms. So yeah, we try to give as many updates as we can. And there's a couple of regular weekly ones. But as as Doug said, get involved. And that's that's the bottom line. If if the mathematical equation I point out to people is if they successfully, effectively, as, as we talked about. Mm -hmm conveyed the data to two people at the beginning of a 30-day month and those two to two the second day after 30 days of each sharing with two uh, for each successive day it's five mm -hmm. and a half million and people That's right. they, they think the math is wrong but it's not and if yeah. they just understood their power in this equation just right. just get people up need to understand get off the power, bench right. get involved I yeah. will say that some of the people that I have talked to it's not that they are denying that the issue exists, but they've given up before they've started. Well, what are you going to do? What can I do? And it's so wonderful to have these resources in Skyder Alert and GeoEngineeringWatch.org to point them to, and more to come. There is so, something they can actually do now. There is a, a, a true action item that's easy to do. Yes. Well, we will make sure to have all that information on, on the credible people step up, like, what, you know, ha having... Uh, from the medical standpoint, having done the equation now and, and having people that can speak to this effectively as, sure. as he has and can, and, uh, it, it just adds to our arsenal of uh, mechanisms to get the word out, you know, mm -hmm. effectively with George to package that up. So yeah. people like you involved to give a voice to all this and much appreciated. it comes together. Yes, yeah. much appreciated. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Thank, thank you. you. I hope we don't have to have this discussion again. I fear that we will. But maybe when we meet again, it'll we'll have some... It'll be about blue skies. It'll be about blue skies returning. Right. And thank you for all that you do. Thank Dane Wigington, George Barnes, Dr. Doug Levine, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It is truly up to each and every one of us to begin to put a stop to this assault. But it starts with awareness. I urge you to visit both geoengineeringwatch.org as well as Dane Wigington's weekly weather updates and global alert news, which can be accessed directly from his YouTube channel. As a footnote, since this interview initially aired due to a lack of resources, George Barnes has since dismantled his Skyder Alert website, but there is still plenty of information available out there on the web for you to learn all that you can about this critical issue. Thank you for tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.